If you have your Bible, we're in Ephesians 3.20 today. Title of my message is, Why Wishes Don't Come True. Look at verse 20. Now to him, talking about God, now to God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Verse 20 says that miracles can happen. Now, if we went around the room this morning and asked everybody to tell about any miracles in your life, most everyone here today would get up and say something about some wonderful thing that the Lord has done in your life. We know that when his mighty power is at work within us, that anything can happen. Anything that he directs, that he guides, that uh, he brings about uh, is going to happen. If we let the Lord work within us, wonderful things do happen daily, weekly, monthly. We should not just sit around and wish for things. Do you know people that sit at the window and look out the window and they... You know, you can tell they're they're just kind of phased out and they're thinking about uh, something that they want or something that they feel like they need and they're just sitting there wishing. Uh, you know, I think we all do that every once in a while. It's not something that is totally foreign to any of us. The church is to complement the work and purposes of Christ. We're to work with him on that which we're trying to to accomplish, and which the Lord obviously through his word wants us to do. We need to add our hands and our feet and our voice to help in Christ's work. The church cannot do that until the members join together in fellowship and in love and in purpose to know and experience the limitless love of God. What you want doesn't come about uh, by wishing. There has to be a number of things that uh, take place in the process. Maybe a few of you have the dreaded disease of wishitis, and it afflicts you uh, every day or two. I wish I didn't have to, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, I wish I didn't have to do, and we've got something obviously in our mind. I wish I had X amount, blank amount of dollars. You know, maybe $100, maybe you're thinking $1,000, maybe you're thinking a million dollars. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish it were next week. Have you ever said that? I just wish it was next week. Uh, not this week, next week. That's what we need. I wish the children would call more. I wish the grandchildren would call more. I wish I had the talents of so-and-so. You know, I wish I could sing like George Beverly Shea. wish I could uh, do this and do that uh, like so-and-so can do it. I wish I had a car like so-and-so has. You know, I used to think years ago that I would like to have a Jaguar. They look so fancy and everything. And then I got in one one day. It's the most uncomfortable car in the world. I never wish that again. Just wishing doesn't change the situation. Wishing is a lot like a rocking horse. There's a lot of motion, but you don't really get anywhere. 
you're still in the same place. Wishing is a lazy person's substitute for work. The Lord wants us to trust in him, not in wishes. Why is it that wishes don't come true? Well, I have six reasons this morning. I don't know if you want to write these down or not. Uh, Number one, we have negative obsessions. I say to my neighbor, you know, it's a great, beautiful day, isn't it, today? But I hear it's going to rain the next of the week, the rest of the week, and it's just going to be horrible. Or... You know, I feel great today. Everything is going my way. Everything is good. Everything is pleasant. But I know that I can't get too active because if I do, I'll have a heart attack. (laughs) We need to turn those negative obsessions in our lives into victories. We need to kind of change that around. The Franciscans were the first ones to systematically grow grapes in California. They produce musket grapes uh, from which the muscatel wine was made. One year, however, they had a horrible drought. I mean, almost no rain fell the whole time. And all of those grapes withered up and they just uh, weren't pretty, weren't good, weren't anything. And they thought, you know, we're going to lose everything. We've tried to build up a business here to support the ministry, and and we just, you know, it's just not working. Everything's dried up. Well, some of them thought about it, prayed about it. They had a determination not to lose everything. So they didn't just sit there and wish. They got up, and they took those withered grapes into the towns in that area, and they sold them as what they called... Peruvian delicacies. That's what they said they were. Peruvian delicacies. That was the beginning, incidentally, of the Sun Made Raisin Company, which made uh, the Franciscans millions and millions and millions of dollars. They had great adversity, but they didn't just sit down and wish. They got up, And they worked, and God blessed what they did. We can't let negative obsessions rule us. Number two, we have unrealistic thinking. Sometimes we just deny realism. We just deny it. Some people think that in life everything ought to be and will be at some time fair. Well... The average IQ of a baby with Down syndrome is 50. Is that fair? Uh, no, that's, that's not fair. Five soldiers charge up a hill to the battle, and four of them are killed, and the fifth one lives. Is that, is that fair? Teenagers think that they're going to live to be 100 years old, and nothing is ever going to go wrong in their life. Does that make uh, any sense at all? Is that reasonable at all? No, it's not. Every stockbroker thinks that they're going to be a multi-millionaire. Is that reasonable? 
All of them are not going to be multimillionaires. When we eat right and exercise and go to school and, and study hard and do this and do that, we are not going to be perfect, no matter how much we think we are perfect. Well, no matter how hard we wish, all of these things don't come out just right. Our goal ought to be to give our best effort in life and put our lives in the hands of God and let God guide us and direct us and mold us as we trust in Him. That's a much, much better formula. Thirdly, we blame others. Many people have said to me over the years, I had everything going right in my life until my boss did thus and such, or my partner did thus and such, or my wife, or my husband, or my financial advisor, or whoever they might list, messed up everything. And I am never going to recover from the damage that they did in my life. They just destroyed everything that I had built up. My future was ruined because of so-and-so. We really need to take responsibility for our behavior. Some would say, yes, I am an alcoholic, but it's all my wife's fault. Or, I have changed jobs ten times in the last two years. You know, a lot of these businesses out there don't have it together. They don't have a good cash flow, and their administration is very weak. And that's why I left. They really never realize that they just can't get along with authority. And so they have to keep moving. From here to there to there to there to there. Number four, we depend too much on luck. Some people say, well, I bought a whole lot of lottery tickets and I didn't win. So I guess I'm not going to be able to build this great business that I had all figured out in my mind. If we base our lives on luck, we're going to have a rough life. I want to tell you that right now. I'm going to give you a classic illustration. I had a couple in my former church who won the lottery. They won it. And uh, it didn't, it didn't uh, turn out like they thought it would. They thought, well, gosh, we're going to get everything we've ever wanted. We can buy anything. We can do anything. We can go anywhere. Everything is just going to be absolutely wonderful in my life from this moment on. We just won the lottery. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Charles Trice shot his wife, Darla Trice, with a 357 revolver at point-blank range. He was a state trooper. I'm sure that many of you saw that in the paper. You read about it in the paper. Uh, it was on TV for a long time. If you stay up late at night and watch these trials that they run over and over on uh, TV, that one comes up, you know, fairly regularly. 
because it was so unbelievable. Uh, he was a state trooper. Well, he's been in jail now for a number of years. I remember uh, when I was doing the funeral, uh, Darla's funeral, uh, Charles came in and sat on the front row. He hadn't gone to jail yet. And he was sitting right there with the daughter. And he came up and kissed her in the casket. Her family was there. There were about 60 of them. And they were furious. They were all thinking, he just murdered her and now he's kissing her. And I mean, they just, I thought we were going to have a war right there at the funeral. I mean, people were talking and there was a lot of noise. You know, people were saying this and saying that. It was just unbelievable. The family was furious. Well, the word got out that they were going to shoot him at the grave. I'm serious. I'm telling you the truth. They were going to shoot him at the grave. Well, you know, I, nobody was paying any attention that I said. I can tell you that. <laughs> they were all talking to each other and the family looked real mad, and I mean, it was it was terrible, just terrible. And then I noticed the door in the back, and state patrol people started coming in. And then uh, some guys in suits, I found out later that they were FBI, they began to come in. And then more policemen began to come in. Then state troopers came in. And about every third person in the sanctuary by the end of that service were law enforcement people. The word got out somehow, and buddy, they were there. Well, I had never been in a funeral like that in my life, (laughs) before or since. Uh, I went out after the funeral was over, and I got in the hearse. I rode with the hearse with... uh, the funeral director, and we talked all the way to the gravesite. And you know, it was a little uh, upsetting to hear all of these things about they're going to shoot him at the at the grave. So uh, I'm riding in the thing, and we're going along, and I looked at the funeral home director, and I said, you know, I've never been in a funeral like this, have you? And he said, no, I never have. I said, well, I want to tell you something. When the shooting starts, I'm going in the hole. (laughs) He laughed and he said, I'm going in right after you. (laughs) Well, let me go back to the, to my point. They won the lottery. They won the lottery. She's dead and he's in prison. Now I want you to kind of get that uh, picture in your brain. Number five, we doubt ourselves. We need to have faith in the Lord. Obviously, we need to do that. The more faith that we have in the Lord, the stronger we're going to be. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengtheneth me. Well, you know, if we use those two scriptures, if we just say, those are my verses, I want to claim those two verses. There are many scriptures that build us up. Those are two of the best. And we need to to claim those when we get into difficult situations. We need to build off of those the strength of our heart and mind and soul. We need to start now. We need to fill our heart and soul with God's helping words. The words that will help us and, and lead us through the difficulties that we're having. Have you ever heard of Judy Petrucci? If anybody here has ever heard of her, would you lift your hand? Thomas, I was expecting you to raise your hand. Thomas remembers everything he's ever read or heard. Well, uh, let me tell you about Judy Petrucci. Uh, You might uh, not know her, but she was a tremendous hero in the working class of the Chicago suburb called Lyons. While most of the residents of Lyons abhorred all the nude bars that had come in, Judy decided that she was going to do something about it. She crusaded against the strip joints, but she was not successful. Her aunt suggested, Judy, why don't you go to law school? You're a smart girl. Why don't you go to law school? And you could do a lot better job fighting all this if you were a lawyer. Judy Petrucci, who only had a high school diploma, decided that is exactly what she would do. And she did it. Fourteen years later, Judy Petrucci was a lawyer. She ran for a seat on the city commission in 1975, and she lost. She ran again and lost. She ran again and lost. She ran again and lost. She ran again, and she won. In 1987, she was elected. In 1989, she became the mayor. Through her leadership, a federal investigation was instituted, and all five of the strip bars were closed. They were all closed. Seventy-six people were indicted for prostitution and tax fraud, and the local officials who supported all of these strip joints were all replaced by the voters of that area. Since the clubs closed, property values went up 25%. New signs welcome visitors to Lyons, and the saying on all the signs at all the streets coming into Lyons said this, a village of growing pride. That was their theme, a village of growing pride. Isn't that terrific? That's what it was. All the citizens agreed that that the mayor gave the town back its pride. There is not a story uh, like this uh, that I've ever heard. This is a true story. This really happened. This is not a make-up story. This is the story of what happened in the suburbs of one of our nation's largest cities. And it happened because one person dared to stand up and say, enough, enough. That's what she did. It didn't happen because Judy Petrucci just sat at a window and wished. That's what a lot of people did. They just, well, I wish this was different. 
But they didn't do anything. She invested her life and showed the power of one person. Number six, we are not willing to pay the price. We want everything to go well for our children, don't we? Our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We want all of them to have it easy, not have it hard like we did. Well, uh, we don't want them to have to pay the price for all the dirt and grit that we went through. Uh, We don't want them to have to get a full-time job like we did when we were 16. We don't want them to work their way through college and not have a car, and all their friends had a car uh, like uh, the others did. Well, we remember how much we wanted a car when we went to college. Doing all of those things for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren is not always the best thing to do for them. If they don't have to struggle and work hard along the way, they're never going to appreciate anything. Now, you know, a lot of families haven't learned that. They don't know that. They keep showering their grandchildren with stuff. And guess what? They become expectant grandchildren. They just want you to keep giving them stuff. And this is a horrible thing to say, but it's true. They're trying to kind of figure out how much money you have when you die. Because they're interested in that as well. We can't just wish for them. We have to mentor them. That's the key. We have to mentor them. That's a high price for us to pay. But please be willing to pay it. Well, how can we make our wishes, our prayers come true? First, we have to take responsibility for our own behavior, for what we do. We can encourage and love someone else, but we should not take on their guilt. You know, everybody wants to put their guilt on us. People do that to me all the time. You know, I'm used to it. Uh, Some people want to put their guilt, their failures on us. And a lot of times we say, well, gee, I really care about this person. I guess I'll take this over. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the right thing to do. Verse 20 in our text says, God is able to do a mighty work within us, something beyond our highest prayers and desires. Secondly, we should check our potential. What has God gifted you to do? You know, God has gifted everybody. Everybody has at least one gift, the scripture says. What's he gifted you to do? Because God's mighty power is there and it's available for you to use, to have. Uh, Everybody, uh, at one time or another, wants to kind of shed their uh, job, their guilt, their fears, or whatever, on somebody else. Don't take it. Find out what God has gifted you to do and stay with that. Do that. I had a guy in a church I pastored many years ago. He came to me and he said, Ron, you're real outgoing. You're real personable. He said, you would be the greatest Amway person in America. (laughs) 
I said, you know, I don't remember God calling me to Amway. (laughs) We need to stay with the gift that God has given us and to use it in the way that God would be blessed by you doing it that way. Thirdly, we have to work on our attitudes. We have to get rid of our negative stuff, bad attitudes, worry. Those things never pay a bill. They never start a car. We worry because we don't trust God. Fourth, we need to act. Don't just wish. Don't just contemplate. Work. You know, for a Christian, don't just pray. You say, well, that's heresy to say that. Well, really, we need to add some things to our prayers. If all we do is pray, then we're not doing enough of some other things. The Lord wants us to put feet to our prayers. Fifth, we can work on our goals. We all need to have personal goals, business goals, family goals, church goals. One of the goals that we should realize that our circle of confession should never be larger than our circle of transgression. If you don't adhere to that, understand that, use that, then you're going to get in a lot of trouble in life. One really great thing about talking to the Lord is that he's not a blabbermouth. He never talks about what we talk with him about. Our first spiritual goal is to confess our sin to our Lord. Our second spiritual goal is to place our faith In Jesus Christ. Our third spiritual goal. Is to join his church. And to serve him. For the rest of our lives. You don't just sit at a window. And wish for hours and hours and hours. Wish that things would be different. Dream that this would happen. Or that would happen. We are a people of faith. We need to get up. And ask for God's blessing. And work. Go to work. And serve him. It's not daydreaming that works. It's not wishing that works. We have to have faith and move forward. This morning, if you're in the house and for whatever reason, you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. We have a lot of uh, folks that visit our church. They come in. They've never heard the gospel. I've had a lot of, you wouldn't believe how many people tell me, you know, I've never heard the gospel presented at my former church. They say that. The gospel is very concise, it's very clear, it's very understandable. You need to confess your sins to the Lord. You need to ask Jesus to come into your heart to be the Lord and master of your life. And you need to have your faith, place your faith in him. To make a decision to follow after him. That's it. That's the bottom line. That's what we need to do. If you've never done that, today would be a great day. I'm going to stand down here at the front. You can slip out and slip forward and take a public stand for Christ. He doesn't want you to be ashamed of him. He wants you to take a stand for him. And you can certainly do that today. If you've been visiting with us for a period of time, we'd love to have you come and join with us. It, once again, is a great illustration of the Lord not only working in your life, but 
in the Lord working through the, the situation in our church. You know how we invite people to come and grow and take a stand for the Lord. If you'd like to do that today, come and join with us and serve with us. That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you'd like to rededicate your life to the Lord, come up and kneel in front of these front pews and just pray. Uh, one of our staff will come and pray with you or one of our deacons will. And, uh, and we'll just try and help. We want to stand with you, not against you, with you. And, of course, you want to know that. Well, we're going to sing. Brother, come and lead us. Let's stand. I'll be waiting here at the front for you to come.